Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Friday, October 1st, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the persisting myth of tampered with and tainted trick-or-treat candy and why it's an urban legend that will never die. Plus, how we humans produce speech and a website that shows you both the beautiful engineering and the chaos of our mouths. And a selection of haunted houses you can sleep over at in case you are looking to up the ante on your spooky experiences this month. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. With increased caution around the spread of germs during our ongoing pandemic, it totally makes sense that parents would be wary about their kids going trick-or-treating later this month. But based on local news headlines and social media posts from police departments, the much bigger concern isn't catching COVID from a neighbor, but rather receiving edibles designed to look like popular candy. One particular tweet from a local news anchor has gone viral. It reads, quote, Beware, as Halloween gets closer, Ben Salem police are warning parents to look at your child's candy before they eat it. They confiscated these snacks that look a lot like the real thing. All are laced with THC. End quote. The accompanying photos show several bags of edibles that are packaged to look just like name brand candies and junk food, sweet tarts, nerds, Cheetos, Sour Patch Kids, but all subtly feature marijuana leaves and words like medicated and descriptions of the THC potency. There's a few issues with this tweet. First, as the takeout points out, it never mentions that these were confiscated from people who were planning to give them to kids. They could have just had them for their own use as adults. Despite the fact that some Pennsylvania lawmakers recently introduced a bill to legalize recreational cannabis, edibles like these are still very much illegal in the town where they were allegedly confiscated. But the other issue is that despite the fact that we go through this every single year, there has never been a case of someone intentionally poisoning or otherwise harming a random kid's trick-or-treat haul. Have there been instances of kids accidentally eating THC gummies and the like with this influx of brightly packaged edibles in recent years? Absolutely, there have been. Cases of kids accidentally finding and eating edibles tripled in Washington state in the years after they legalized recreational cannabis. Fortunately, the kids' symptoms are relatively mild compared to other drugs or poisons, not that that makes it much less frightening or concerning. And if, like me, you're curious how these THC candies are getting away with using such convincing packaging, like, really, look at the photos linked in the show notes. I would probably mistake it for real, too. You know, on the one hand, I feel like products that are explicitly not for kids shouldn't be marketed in a way that's appealing to kids. But on the other, more American hand, how have these people not been sued by Mars and Nestle yet? Well, apparently those corporations are starting to go after them now that edibles have become such a big business. Most of these smaller edible companies stop after they get a cease and desist letter from one of the corporations, and some may struggle to get off the ground because larger dispensaries will often refuse to stock edibles with packaging that could be infringing on trademark or breaking state requirements around child safety for packaging. 
So it is something that companies and governments are working to stamp out. But the issue at hand is how misleading the packaging of some edibles can be in general, not specifically on Halloween, and not intentionally from strangers. And for one, as so many people on Twitter were quick to point out in response to that local news anchor, these candies come at a premium. Someone would have to be either pretty determined and or rolling in it to be handing out THC candies that come at 30 to $50 a pop to some random neighborhood kids. The truth of the matter is, when it comes to Halloween, the idea that someone might intentionally try to drug, poison, or otherwise harm trick-or-treaters through their candy has always been more myth than reality. Back in 1970, the New York Times ran a piece reporting that pins, razors, glass, sewing needles, and poison had been found in candy handed out on Halloween in recent years, with incidents, quote, growing at a rapid rate, end quote. But as David J. Skull points out in Halloween, the history of America's darkest holiday, quote, a report is a very different thing from a confirmed tampering, much less an actual injury or death, end quote. And indeed, most reports in the media, even back then, seem to have been unfounded. Researchers from California State University investigated 76 cases of trick-or-treat tampering reported by major newspapers like the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, and the LA Times between 1958 and 1984, and could not find a single instance in which, quote, an anonymous sadist caused death or a life-threatening injury. End quote. If anything, Skull points out, local authorities and the media bringing this up year after year just gives people ideas. That same year that the New York Times scaremongered about sewing pins and apples, a five-year-old boy in Detroit died of a heroin overdose that was widely publicized as being a result of drugs hidden in candy he got while trick-or-treating, which is what his parents told the authorities. It only came out later that the drugs had actually come from his uncle's house, not his Halloween candy, and the trick-or-treating explanation was just a cover story from his family that everyone was all too eager to believe. Even worse, four years later, Ronald O'Brien murdered his own son by putting potassium cyanide in a giant pixie stick, which he claimed he got while taking his kids trick-or-treating. Within just a couple of days, it was discovered that he had put the potassium cyanide there himself in order to get a payout from the insurance policy he'd taken out on his kids. The closest we've ever gotten to someone intentionally poisoning random strangers in this sort of manner was in October of 1982, when someone planted fake capsules filled with potassium cyanide in bottles of extra-strength Tylenol at stores around Chicago. Even though it wasn't related to Halloween candy, it was enough to fuel concerns around taking candy from strangers on the one night a year that we lift that taboo. But if there's never been a confirmed real case of this happening on Halloween, why do the warnings come back year after year? There's a number of reasons, wrapped up in sort of culture war type of paranoia, you know, the fear around a rapidly changing world, seeing things like new music trends and the changing politics of the youth as being a sure sign that society is going to the dogs. People are so unhinged and sinful these days, of course they'd be sadistic enough to want to murder kids with tainted candy. But a few journalists also point to the police themselves as exaggerating or even completely fabricating the dangers of drug-laced Halloween candy, much in the same way that they might plant drugs on an innocent person. Over at the libertarian magazine Reason, Jacob Solom has spent several years on the drugged Halloween candy beat and has a litany of examples going back to the mid-90s of police chiefs raising the alarm about edibles disguised as Halloween candy right around the time that their state passed laws weakening restrictions on marijuana consumption. 
He quotes a blogger from Ladybud, a women's lifestyle publication focused on socially progressive issues including drug war reform, quote, This is just another way for those who most benefit from marijuana prohibition to try to convince the public that prohibition protects children. The real message here is that the average citizen should be wary of cannabis users. They might want to drug your kids and get them hooked, too. End quote. And, yeah, the whole thing really does make it seem like some people took the satirical musical Reefer Madness as fact. Should we be worried about kids accidentally eating edibles that are marketed in ways that will clearly trick them, and, let's be honest, trick us adults too? Absolutely. Is anyone intentionally buying up pricey edibles to hand out to kids on Halloween? Almost certainly not. Is anyone intentionally drugging, poisoning, or sticking razor blades into any Halloween candy to hand out to strangers' kids? Also, almost certainly not. And if they are, it's only because they got the idea from decades of people spreading this urban myth. Now, I remember as a kid in the 90s, my dad would never let me eat my Halloween candy until he'd personally inspected each piece for holes in the wrappers or other signs that it had been opened or somehow injected with something. And there were a number of candies that got thrown out each year because they didn't meet his standards. We were never allowed to eat homemade treats from people we didn't know. And you know, hey, if you've got the time, it's not a bad idea to go through your kid's candy just to double check. Or, as Claire Lauer put it over at Lifehacker, quote, I am, however, all for looking at your child's Halloween haul, so you can pick out a few nice chocolates for yourself as a reward for staying up all night to make their costume. And if you happen to find a weed-laced candy, consider yourself very lucky, for you will surely be the first. End quote. So I found a cool site the other day called Pink Trombone that calls itself Barehanded Speech Synthesis. It's basically an interactive human mouth. You can click and drag parts of the nasal cavity, oral cavity, palate's lip and tongue to create sounds and also adjust things like the pitch. It is a super cool way to learn more about the mouth and how we humans create speech, and also just really fun to play with and make chaotic mouth noises. The human ability to speak is a marvel of evolution. Dr. Philip Lieberman, a professor of cognitive and linguistic science at Brown University, told NPR several years ago, quote, speech is the most complex motor activity any person acquires, end quote. And here's how it works, quoting again from NPR, when we talk or sing, we release controlled puffs of air from our lungs through our larynx, or voice box. The larynx is about the size of a walnut. It's mostly made up of cartilage and muscle. Stretched across the top are the vocal cords, which are two folds of mucous membrane. When we expel air from the lungs and push it through the larynx, the vocal cords vibrate, making the sound. The frequency of this buzzing is what gives sound the pitch. We change the pitch by tightening the vocal cords to make our voice higher, or loosening them to make Make a lower sound. The vibrating air gets made into a specific sound like an E or ah or t or p by how we shape our throat, mouth, tongue, and lips. Fusing these sounds together to form words and sentences is a complex dance. It requires an enormous amount of fine motor control. End quote. And it's a uniquely human thing. When we diverged from our early ape ancestor 100,000 years ago, Lieberman told NPR, our mouths got smaller. We developed a more flexible tongue, which moved down and pulled our larynx lower, which required our necks to get longer. This enabled speech, but it's also why we're so easily able to choke to death. When we eat, food has to travel past the larynx without going in, 
thanks epiglottis, and make it down the esophagus from there. So, alright, maybe there are some downsides to how we evolved. Evolution is not perfect, but the way speech happens is still pretty incredible, and the Pink Trombone website illustrates that complexity and coordination in a really cool way. Link in the show notes if you want to play around with it yourself. Extra recommended if you have kids. Kind of feels like a website version of an episode of the Magic School Bus taking you inside the mouth. Haunted houses aren't just for half-hour walkthroughs anymore. Airbnb is featuring a whole slew of allegedly haunted homes people can book to stay in this month, including some that look like castles on the outside, or are literal castles, others that look like Edwardian vampire residences on the inside, some that are just straight-up in Salem, Massachusetts, and one that's designed to look like Disney's Haunted Mansion. They've also got a line of otherworldly stays that mostly look like a cottagecore fantasy or hobbiton come to life. But their cream of the crop is a chance to stay in the original house from Scream. Located in Tamales, California, it's been decked out to look just how it did in the four movies. Evidence from some of the murders that occurred in the film, like knife marks on the doors, will be in place for extra authenticity. You'll be treated to a bunch of 90s snacks and endless pizza, as well as Scream memorabilia, and on offer for activities will be all four Scream movies on VHS and a dedicated phone line to call Ghostface. You'll even get a virtual greeting from David Arquette in character as Sheriff Dewey, who is acting as the host of the Airbnb listing. Bookings for October 27th, 29th, and 31st will open on October 12th, and it seems like it's just first come, first serve, so I don't know, hope you're really good at clicking fast. This is not Airbnb's first foray into movie and TV-themed experiential lodgings. They've hosted a stay at The Mansion from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and another inside a blockbuster. In this case, this year is apparently the 25th anniversary of the Scream franchise, and there's a new one coming out next year, so this seems to be a bit of a stunt to bolster excitement for the return of Ghostface to the big screen. But if Scream isn't your thing, don't forget there's a whole bunch of other haunted houses throughout the US and Europe that Airbnb has curated for you to consider. Though, personally, I feel like Airbnb can be such a luck of the draw that you might accidentally book a haunted house no matter where or when you go. Well, that is it for me for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.